in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. as usual by a very special guest uh, first time on the podcast yes. it's our very good friend and the very talented uh she's from idiot box along with the rest of us the show idiot box amanda airing everybody thank you yeah. thanks for welcome having welcome me. Yeah. this is great and we're really excited because today we're going to talk about uh a really great movie it's like one of my favorites um mm-hmm. it's uh, mel brooks's blazing saddles from 1974 uh a small gem that most people haven't heard of or covering today <laughs> um this movie to me um I, I think it's kind of part of my comedy dna like i think it's just something that just hits me i think it there are a lot of movies that i find funny but i think this is one of those movies i would put up on the upper echelon of kind of part of my comedy education, comedy DNA. Um, And I also kind of consider it the first modern comedy because I think prior to this, I don't think um, comedies, I think like maybe in the 30s, they had that that kind of anarchic energy like from the Marx Brothers and stuff like that. But I think there might have been a dry period until Mel Brooks came onto the scene and kind of brought this new energy to comedy and also was groundbreaking, like just bringing in things really irreverent very satirical in ways that we really hadn't seen before in film. Um, and I didn't know this when I saw this at 13. <laughs> I, I just thought it was one of the funniest movies I had ever seen. Um, or whatever whatever age I, I saw it at. Um, uh, it's just uh, really... It just holds up. I mean, I, 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 when I watch a movie like this today, I, I can't imagine it being made today in the same way. Like, there's just no way this would be sanctioned by a, no. a major no. Hollywood yeah. studio. Uh, so it almost wasn't sanctioned at the time it came out. No, no. I, it was... Uh, I know the studio was kind of lukewarm about it because they didn't... Actually, the executives didn't even laugh at it. They didn't find it at all mm-hmm. funny when Mel Brooks kind of screened it for the executives. Now, all the employees of Warner Brothers loved it, but the executives were, were kind of lukewarm, saying, we don't know where this is going to play. Let's just get it out there, release it, and get it out of the way, write it off. 
Mm-hmm. Of course, it becomes one of the biggest comedy hits of all time. It was, it was a massive blockbuster in 1974. Like I think it was like, if not the biggest hit of the year, it was like in the top three. And uh, I can understand why. I mean, this probably seemed so innovative and fresh in 1974. So I was wondering, Amanda, what was your first experience watching this Like when you came across it? It's kind of like you, this is that moment in my life when... I knew comedy had power mm-hmm. because I think I was about seven and it kind of scares me because my daughter is seven and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever watch this. But um, this was like the age of the VCR. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I was in bed one night asleep and my parents started just laughing, like howling out loud. And my dad was a tough one with comedy. Mm-hmm. If, if it wasn't funny, he wasn't going to laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, what is he laughing about? So I snuck out of my room and I walked to the living room and I peeked around and there was like this western. I'm like, what is with this? These aren't funny. So I sat there with like my head in my hands and trying to be quiet so they didn't catch me. And I started watching this movie and you know, at that age, part of it, I had no idea what they were saying. Um, I heard some bad words, but the thing that struck me and has probably stayed with me for all of the comedy I've done is the fact that the writing and and the the way that everyone delivered the lines like the writing was razor sharp to me and the delivery was just spot on and it yeah. made even these throwaway lines so funny yeah. Yeah. i didn't know why at the time but i came to learn that that's a lot of what comedy is it's just this Sometimes it's just in the delivery of a line and it's in the craft of writing it and writing well. So yeah. that's stayed with me and it's just, I think it's genius. I, I think so too. Like, uh, when I grew up watching this, like, we were a Mel Brooks family, I think. From I think we watched Spaceballs. That was my first Mel Brooks movie. And my dad was telling me, oh, you got to see Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, The Producers, all these movies. And I think Blazing Saddles was one of the first movies he got out and my dad was like your dad he he loved great comedy but he didn't really have a lot of tolerance for like terrible crap like if we'd be watching who's the boss or growing pains like oh, that's crap he wouldn't turn it off he would just go oh that's, <laughs> that's crap exactly it. that's terrible so we got our upbringings are pretty similar that way um but he loved mel brooks and he he loved this movie and uh i just remember watching it like I think it was one of the first rated R films I ever watched, too, with, with my parents, you know, because they actively wanted me to watch it. Um, and I can totally uh, see that about your dad. Oh, yeah. He's definitely a Blazing Saddles guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and he, he, he would laugh at everything. My mom, too. She loves Mel Brooks, too. Um, so that, that was a big part of my DNA. And I think the first thing I, you know... I think the thing I admire most about this movie, like, I don't know, Tony, if this was your first time watching it, or... In its entirety, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely did not grow up in a household that would let me watch a movie like this. Because <laughs> the language and yeah. you know, yeah, stuff like yeah. that. My dad kind of um, sheltered us a little bit from, from things like that. No, I mean, not, not saying, you know, any, anything otherwise. Um, plus, I was also born in 1985, so this movie... Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a little bit before my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this movie's like three years before I was born, actually. So it wasn't that it wasn't out that too much before I 
I, I was born. You, of course, have seen it a million times, Scott, I think, too, right? I've seen it in bits and pieces, but I haven't seen it all the way through. Like, um, I have recently where I was able to watch the whole movie. Mm-hmm. This is actually the first time like I was able to watch it all the way through without interruption and in like a perfect time to actually watch it. Because usually I'd catch the end of it or I'd catch the beginning or something would happen and I wouldn't finish watching it. Or, but I, in pieces, I had seen the whole movie in every part. But uh, as far as like sitting down and watching the whole thing, this is this was probably the first the best time I ever, you know, saw the movie, um, and from beginning to end, and, and paid attention all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I didn't like it ever, but it's like, uh, this is definitely the most enjoyable experience I had when we saw the movie tonight. Uh, and, uh, you and know, it was the unique, because yes. you got to see it with other people, yes. which, yes. That which never makes it happened. much better. And yeah. I, def- I definitely think that it was better for me to see it at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. That it would have been, I think, when I was younger, I may not have, I probably would have thought, uh, definitely would have thought some of the throwaway lines and the reactions were funny, but um, a lot of the, you know, quasi racism, well, racism yeah. that's yeah. in the movie and things like that, I may not have enjoyed as much or, or may have understood the satire in it when I yeah. was a kid yeah. as opposed to what I do now. So I'm, I'm actually glad that I did see it a little bit later in life. I think I have a higher appreciation and respect for it than what I may have when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I think you hit on something that I think is one of the the, uh, the true genius of the film is the way it addresses racism without being preachy at all or pretentious mm-hmm. or, you know, highfalutin. It just, it just shows you a guy taking over a town as sheriff and how they react to it. And it's played completely for humor because everybody here who's a racist in the movie is an idiot. And they yeah. play it right. like yeah. it's really a Looney. It's a live-action Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. If you think about it, mm-hmm. like Sheriff Bart is Bugs Bunny. I mean, I see that mm-hmm. comparison all the way through. The townspeople are like Elmer, you know, like the villains are like Elmer Foot and yeah. Yosemite mm-hmm. Sam. They're lovable, even though <laughs> they're not <laughs> admirable. Natalie you know. Pond's character is like Tweety Bird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, she is. They actually play the Looney Tunes theme in the movie. Oh yeah, they, like, you yeah, know, through the direct reference to it but and that's what i love about mel brooks in general i think this is a movie that really captures him and like with where it's still edgy and fresh and everything where it's groundbreaking it's it's really irreverent it's very smart it's not afraid to be stupid in a smart way uh it's it's zany like i said it's it's over the top when it needs to be over the top but it's fast and it's always sharp Mm -hmm. and it's also Absurdist, like they break the fourth wall several times. It's like everything that I love about comedy, every trope, every technique seems to come from this movie. You know, Monty Python might be the other thing I'm mm-hmm. thinking of that's that's similar. And all the performances are great. There's not one performance in this movie I think is out of place or terrible. They're all great, and that's probably why it's hard for me to like pick a standout because everything fills up a piece. Yeah, you know? yeah. You kind of take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 a it's probably the most Mel Brooksian movie that <laughs> and the producers where it's mm-hmm. his most um, well, especially his early movies um, where or maybe Mel Brooks was more Mel Brooks early on, uh, but um, just the kind of zaniness and not worrying if a joke is too obvious or, or stupid or silly, he's still going to do it, you know, and he does it all the way, you know, without you know, remorse, 
you know, yeah. like the fart scene, um, <laughs> you know, eating beans is like the oldest joke in the world, mm-hmm. but it's just the way they do it in the movie is, is so great. Um, I think it's the first like fart scene in history. It was. Right? I read that yeah. this week, yeah. yeah, when I was reading about uh, which is amazing. Movie. Like you know, that's a staple of many Alan Sandler films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Well, I mean, not a day goes by where you don't see somebody farting in a comedy. You know. Yeah. I think what's ingenious about this joke, though, it's completely in the context of the movie, and he's making fun of westerns because yeah. people used to eat beans constantly in these old westerns. And Mel Brooks thought, well, obviously they have to be passing gas yeah. or farting at yeah. some point. Exactly. And so they threw it in there. Um, I love the background on this movie because it was originally called Tex X. That was the first title, and it was a play on Malcolm X about a black sheriff who comes in the town. Uh, it was written by a guy named Andrew Bergman, who became like a great director in his own right. He directed The Freshman and Soap Dish and all those movies. And uh, it eventually came to Mel Brooks. And I think I read that Alan Arkin was originally going to direct it. Oh, wow. <laughs> of all wow, people. A... Yeah, it's strange. And then it was passed on to Mel Brooks. And he originally wanted Richard Pryor to play the sheriff. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and Pryor was actually one of the writers on the movie. He actually, although there was like five writers, I think he, Mel Brooks, is one of the Greek Create Your Show shows where he used to write for Sid Caesar's show. And that's where they had all those like high-profile writers like Neil Simon and Woody Allen, all those people, and Carl Reiner. Mm-hmm. He wanted to kind of replicate that same atmosphere for this movie. And from what I heard, Richard Pryor, most people would assume, you know, that he was writing the sheriff's dialogue. I guess I heard that Mel Brooks wrote most of the sheriff's dialogue, and Richard Pryor wrote most of Mongo's dialogue. So <laughs> <laughs> nothing was what it seemed. And he wanted Richard Pryor to play the sheriff, but the studio was really against that because Richard Pryor was a liability, you know, with the drugs and everything. He was just not reliable. And Mel Brooks really fought and really fought to get Richard Pryor cast in the movie until one day Richard Richard Pryor didn't show up for a writing session. And so Mel Brooks called him up and said, hey, Richard, where are you? He goes, I'm in Cleveland. (laughs) He goes, what are you doing in Cleveland? He goes, I don't know. (laughs) They're like, okay, I think this is done. Wow. Uh, that would have been the first Richard Pryor or Gene Wilder film. What do you think about it? Oh, yeah. And they've been together in that. Um, and then I read John Wayne was supposed to be Gene Wilder. They offered that role to John Wayne to play the aging cowboy. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so Mel Brooks sent the script, and John Wayne comes to him the next day and he goes, I honestly can't do this movie. It's just dirty. It's just dirty. He goes, but I'll be the first in line to buy a ticket because I was up all night laughing hysterically. <laughs> you know, which I thought was cool. You know, so he gave him his blessing on the film. <laughs> yeah, that's. You know, I, I think I like this movie a lot more now than I did when I was little, obviously. But um, the thing I don't like, um, I don't like the Mel Brooks parts. <laughs> Whenever Mel Brooks shows up in the movie, I don't. Oh, I just I like some. I like when he like you know when he grabs. Uh, he's trying to grab the. Yeah, oh, yeah, like yeah. Can't you tell? Yeah, yeah get over here. You know, and he's, he's not <laughs> looking at him, and then he turns around. And that was funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but then the, when they redo it, he's like, "There's a." N- 
And then he just like stops the line the second time. And then <laughs> yeah. he's talking with him. But I think it's just a lot of like, man, he's just trying to get a laugh out of everything he's doing. Like his screen time is, you know. Uh, oh yeah, he's a laugh for. Yeah, no question. <laughs> but, Which is great. But yeah. that also kind of ties into what Chama was saying earlier about the fact that this is sort of like a live action cartoon. I mean, mm-hmm. cartoons yeah. are so all over the place like that, and maybe he was, you know, trying to be animated like a cartoon because he was very fidgety. You know, yeah. in that yeah. first scene mm-hmm. where he's the mayor, it's like he's all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he is. And uh, although I love the line where uh, I, my dad actually referenced this the other day, but uh, where he goes, the head, Headley Lamar, the ongo- you know, the ongoing joke of yeah. Headley, Headley. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's Headley. And he goes, what are you worried about? It's 1874. You could sue her. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's another thing I like about Mel Brooks is because I always felt like he put these inside jokes in his movies, and if you were smart enough to like look it up or um, try to find more information, like the name Lepetamine, mm-hmm. it's yeah. based on a French fartist. Like, <laughs> yes, if, if, if <laughs> his name was Lepetamine, <laughs> it came from Lepetamine, and he had apparently had these strong abdominal muscles and could fart on command. Wow. <laughs> So the name means fart maniac, I guess, in French. I read that one time. So I always feel like there's these little nuggets of, of humor that aren't really obvious in mm-hmm. Mel Brooks movies. But if you kind of look for them and, and research them, it's quite funny. The things I, he puts in there. I'm not surprised. You know, I think there's a lot of that. Like, like I don't know who Hedy Lamar is. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't know that when I was watching this. Like, who's Hedy Lamar? But then it makes you want to go back and find right. out who it is. You know, and he knows, like, I, I, he obviously didn't do that to school kids. It just, mm-hmm. he was running for a certain audience, the adult audience who would know who these people are. But as we start watching it, it's like you have to go back and figure out, you know, like, you know, that, like, my Alan Kahn's character is modeled after Marlene Diedrich, but most people now probably aren't as familiar with that reference. Mm-hmm. But it's even funnier when you realize who she's playing off of. You know, I was like, yeah. I killed more people than Cecil B. <laughs> yeah, yeah was, exactly. I was like, oh no, That's I great. do know who Cecil B. is. <laughs> I think Clavon Little is great in this movie. By the way, like mm-hmm. I was watching as I was watching it, uh, and even Richard Pryor admitted like he's perfect for the role. And I think it's because Richard Pryor would have been a little too insecure, I think, because like, that's part of his his stage act was kind of playing off of his vulnerabilities. And I think Clayvon Little comes off as really confident, mm-hmm. cool, mm-hmm. the Bugs Bunny effect, you know, mm-hmm. or he, and I don't, I think he has the best facial expressions for breaking the fourth wall I've he ever does. seen. That's right. Baby, you were well, so talented. I, I liked it when that one guy, I, I, the guy who played the Headley, I don't know the actor's name, what was, what's his name? Oh, Harvey, Harvey Corman, yeah. When he, with the one part when he's like talking about it, and he's like, <clears throat> he's like, why am I asking you? You don't know. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's another great. That's one of my favorite moments too. That might be my favorite fourth wall busting. Was scene. he the dad, Mary Poppins? No, no, oh, okay. no. It looks a lot like him. No, Harvey Corman was actually uh, on the Carol Burnett show. Oh, yeah, okay. he was uh, really. It was a really popular show at that point, and you know, Carol Burnett. It was Vicki Lawrence and yes. Tim Conway. That was yeah. like a classic lineup, and Harvey Corman and Tim Conway were kind of like a comedy team on the show, mm-hmm. and. Harvey Corman was infamous for breaking, breaking, uh, just breaking up during scenes. Like they'd film these scenes, Tim Conway would get Harvey Corman to break up, start laughing hysterically, 
And so that became like a shtick that everybody waited for when they watched the show. <laughs> and I'm happy to say when you watch Blazing Saddles, Harvey Corman is a disciplined actor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very, you know, a superbly talented comedic <laughs> actor. Uh, he's great in this movie, too. Like, I, that's one thing. He's... Uh, the more I watch the movie, the more I realize how good Harvey Corman is in this. Just, yeah. you know, he, he nails every line out of the park. Yeah, he was always one of my favorites. Too. Yeah. yeah. He's great. Um, and then um, Gene Wilder, who is completely cast against type in this movie as like this old gunslinger. I like him. I think he's good in the role. Oh, I, like so I think he's fantastic. Yeah. But it's not mm-hmm. what you would... He's not the actor you would expect to play that part because it's kind of casual. Gene Wilder's movie characters are usually more manic and... Yeah, you know. I was wondering. But I liked it. I think I liked that side of him. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering when we were sitting there. I can't remember. Did Willy Wonka come after this movie, or I it think was it a, might have. It was a few years before. Oh, I think before, this. yeah. That's like, okay. Because yeah. I was like, okay, where in the scheme of time yeah. did this happen? We're in the wilder filmography. Uh, yeah. This is kind of funny. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think his breakthrough was uh, he was in. He had a really small role in Bonnie and Clyde. He actually played like a funeral director. That's right. And then he was in The Producers. And that was like probably his big break. That was a great And then Willy Wonka and Mm -hmm. all this stuff came out. This is the thing. Blazing Saddles was released the same year as Young Frankenstein. They both came out in 1974. I mean, how many directors... Most directors are killed for one of those movies. But to have both of them come out the same year... Yeah, I didn't realize that they came out in the exact same year. I know. When I found out that fact, I'm like... You gotta huh. be kidding me. That's talking talk about a role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um because they're both like classics. Yeah, they're both great yeah. movies. Um I mean I I really didn't have more than that. But <laughs> <laughs> I was just hoping, you know, yeah, I wasn't gonna elaborate on that, but uh because that's at the end of the podcast where we talk about, you know about liking the movie. But um I mean speaking of Gene Wilder, I think um I mean, I I think it's great that the role he has with the, uh, you know, how casual he is. And, you know, when you first meet him, he's just, you know, the the cliche drunk, you know, down with his luck, whatever, um, that lost his, you know, whatever he was prominent known for being. Um, And then he, you know, he meets this guy who helps him find, um, you know, what it is that he was great at, which was obviously shooting fast, which he never lost. But I think the chemistry between him... And uh, the sheriff is, you know, it's just great, you know. I think it catapults the whole movie. I enjoy those scenes as yeah. well. I like yeah. that relationship a lot. Mm-hmm. I did too. Mm-hmm. I love watching those two together. It, it's like a buddy film, really, yeah. with those two. And, um, like, uh, like, the first scene of their meeting, it's one of my favorite lines. It's like, what are your pleasures? Mm-hmm. Uh, play chess? Screw? Let's play chess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they're really good together, and um, the townspeople are great too. Of Rock Ridge, yeah. I mean, they are all like they're a bunch of great character actors. I know the one guy; I don't know his name offhand, but I think he played the actual Big Lebowski in the Big Lebowski, the guy in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the townspeople, the one who says gives a speech about Gabby Johnson's yeah. gibberish. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I mean, that's, that's the best scene in the movie, I think, is when they're gathering and talking about, um, 
you know, the town has just been marauded by these outlaws coming in, shooting, and, you know, damaging the town, and they're going in there, and all the Johnsons are gathered in, in the church, and, uh, was it Gabby Johnson that gets up and he just speaks gibberish? Yeah, I have seen that. And then the guy's right? like, I think he clear, Gabby Johnson clearly states what we're all thinking. <laughs> that was funny, yeah. It's one of my favorite lines yeah. in the movie. He goes, not only was it authentic frontier gibberish, it clearly stated what the, it displayed a courage unseen in this day and age. Well, I think it's great is that he just goes on and on about how great the speech was. It yeah. wasn't like he just said that was great speech. He just goes on and on. I'm glad that the children are here to say you know, <laughs> yeah. a lesser comedy would have just had Gabby Johnson go up and do the gibberish. Yeah. yeah. This movie takes it up a notch mm-hmm. where he gives that speech. You know, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was talking about Harvey Corman earlier, and Slim Pickens is great with oh, Harvey yeah. Corman. Mm-hmm. They're both fantastic in this. Uh, just because Slim, Slim Pickens, it is very Looney Tunish with those two together. Yeah, how about the name alone? Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. Yeah. Great name. He is famous for Dr. Strangelove, where he was yes. actually on the bomb that. That actually drops and destroys the world um, in that movie. So he was probably in demand with most comedies after that, and this is one of them. You know, he was he was outstanding. Um, you know, Madeline Kahn. I think she's she actually was nominated for an Academy Award for her performance in this. Mm-hmm. Was she? Yeah. She was yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I people have to say she was one of my favorite female actresses. I I just I loved her. Her and Carol Burnett are like my two. <laughs> Those are good ones. Yeah. Those are excellent ones. Like I think she's uh, she's probably gonna have to be considered one of the five funniest female comedians. Yeah. You yeah, know, just like you actually just comedians. Period. She's great. Um, she's kind of like a kindred spirit with for me with Gilda Radner in a way. Yeah. Like yeah. I see them as mm-hmm. cut from the same cloth. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about Madeline Kahn, and I can certainly say this for Gilda as well, is. Um, I think they both had a very unique way of captivating the audience and doing a great job, but not really overtaking the scenes. Or they really, they both added value anytime they were in a scene. They didn't take it away, and they didn't over like they didn't steamroll the scene mm-hmm. like other comedians who are just loud and out there, and they kind of control the scene. They never really seemed to do that, but yet they had the ability to just sort of stand out, you know, in their own right. way and, and be remembered. Um, and that could be because they're women, you know, and, and back then there were a lot of male comics. But it could also be just because they're great and they're awesome and, um, you know, they just maybe realize that they had that ability and then kind of honed it. I know Mel Brooks loved her. Like, I think he mm-hmm. said she's like one of the funniest people he ever knew, one of the most talented yeah, people he ever knew. Yeah, I guess she was... She was she had a great singing voice, an actual singing voice. It was operatic. Oh wow! And she could have she could have performed in an opera if she wanted to. She was that talented a singer. Um, but uh, she's primarily known, I think, for was, was she, I don't know if Madeline Kahn did much outside of Mel Brooks movies primarily though. That period of time. The first time I remembered seeing Madeline Kahn when I was a kid was in the movie Clue. Yeah, she oh, was. Oh yeah, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I do remember seeing her in Clue as Mrs. White. There's a really, really obscure short. It's probably the very first time she's ever on film. I think she's around 18 years old. And if you Google it, it's called Deduva the Dove. Uh-huh. And it's just, 
It's this short that makes fun of Bergman, Ingmar Bergman films. Oh, yeah. They, um, oh, okay. Like, one scene, they play badminton with death. It's like this really <laughs> stupid short, but it's so funny, and she's so young. Um, but it's like they're, they're speaking in fake Swedish, and, like, there's subtitles and everything. It's really funny, but you can Google it and see it. I'd love to check that out. Yeah, like, I would, too. I think another actress... Reminds me of Madeline Kahn to a degree as Catherine O'Hara has that oh, kind of yeah. same. Yeah, they do have some. Yeah, and that's similar. Oh, she was the mom in Home Alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I thought of that because when you mentioned the Bergman parody, I think on SCTV they did a similar Bergman mm-hmm. parody where they were speaking in like broken English. <laughs> it's like just <laughs> gibberish uh, in that too. But she's greatness. Uh, you know, I'm tired. I mean, that's just a great comedy oh, song. That, that's you know? fantastic. You know, there's so many great lines. You're coming and going and going and coming and all always too soon. <laughs> there you go. Here's my Madeline yeah, Kahn impersonation. Oh my goodness, so funny. That's why this movie's so great. I mean, every single scene you can pick out lines and funny things. It's just it's, it's just it's so absurd and like so realistic at the same time. Oh yeah, I mean, I, which is the which is the great the greatness of it. Well, the, the line where they're all staying in line, all the bad people are staying in line to get signed up to, to do the raid, and uh, that one guy comes up and he says, like, uh, qualifications, rape, murder, arson, and rape. And then he says, you said rape twice. I like rape. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, it's just, obviously he's talking about rape, but just the way it, it was, like, done so innocently, right. straightforward, like, it was... Um, and then the next scene, the guy comes up and he's, he's just being bad. He's like, wait, what's that in your mouth? He's like, <laughs> chewing gum. I hope you brought enough for everybody. And he just gets scared. And he's like, I didn't know there were that many people here. And he shoots them. I mean, it's just unbelievable. That's a great scene. It's just... It is. I, I Just the way that he shot them. I mean, that's not the only rape joke in this movie. No. There's like numerous rape jokes. And God, I mean, just the obscenities. Like, it had to be in 1974. I... I'm sure, I know that movies were being released at that point where they were breaking a lot of barriers down with language and, you know, what could be shown on film. But this movie is a comedy. I I just can't imagine that anybody had seen anything this blatantly vulgar before, you know, like this rat-a-tat-tat where it's just like nonstop like this. Mm -hmm. It had to be like eye-opening for people watching this. But so gleefully done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is. There's no hint of, of, you know, like, they're doing it like, you know, there's obviously with Mel Brooks movies, there's a wink to the camera. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And sometimes there was actually a wink. I mean, yeah. Sometimes they talk to the camera, you know. But I, I think it's just the joyousness of saying this stuff and getting away with it that, that everybody, like, even when you watch the movie together with a group, you all kind of decide that you're going to watch it and enjoy it no matter you know what they're saying um, you know we're all in it together and we're all going to you know enjoy this movie for an hour and a half and then you know not be that way in our room <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly you know? no I mean he is a joyous filmmaker that's the one thing I love about him is like you said as vulgar as his movies can get and I, that's what I love I love that he's irreverent and vulgar and he takes the, the takes the piss out of everything uh-huh. but 
there is a love of mood making movies like that is joyous the whole time like it is a great time you can't leave this movie without having a great time and enjoying yeah. it yeah. like it is infectious everybody seems to be having a great time making it yeah mm-hmm. you know um and he just he'll he's so irreverent he'll just throw things away like the end of the movie is essentially just completely destroying the fourth wall talking about breaking it just obliterates it and then you're taken to a studio where they're making another movie well he doesn't even care about the wall it's at that no, point no. it's just it's <laughs> it doesn't matter if it you know it's you know the camera pulls away and you see the whole studio and you're like what the heck why is it going to the studio and then he yeah. goes into that Dom DeLuise mm-hmm. you know uh uh <laughs> you know just <laughs> a three minute gay joke yeah. <laughs> you know and uh you know that and then you have all these cowboys and oh man that's just you know what else can you say <laughs> the never ending fight scene I I, yeah. I, yeah. I laugh so hard when um the Henley character like called the taxi and he's like get me out of this picture <laughs> <laughs> Another great line is he comes up to the movie theater and he's like, "Student." Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Student. Yeah. Like, I like Give when me a he's break. in the movie theater and he's eating the popcorn, and then he looks and realizes that he's still in the movie. He's like, "Shit." Yeah. <laughs> Nobody plays lecherous like Harvey Corman too. Yeah. When he's sitting on Madeline Kahn. I think that's the best work yeah. I've ever seen of a lech on film. <laughs> Let me get there. Give me a taste. You know, <laughs> he's amazing in this. Um. I mean, I, you know, virtually everybody's great, um, you know. And Gene Wilder, I think, is one of my favorite. Like Lisa Madeline Kahn, I think mm-hmm. Gene Wilder would be that for me too. He's a guy. Like Bill Murray is probably my favorite, and Steve Martin I'd put up there too. But I put Gene Wilder up there. I mean, he's just the more I've seen him, especially as I gotten older. Like even though he's known for being manic, there's also kind of a nuance to a lot of his performances. Like he's a terrific actor on top of being a really funny. Well, I mean, yeah. look at Willy Wonka. He was very calm in that movie, most of the movies, yes. you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that one scene where he kind of got a little crazy, but for the most part, he, you know, he was just very calm. Now he's a meme. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Who yeah. knew that when he did that pose where he was sticking his hand, head on his hand? That, that would, what is of all the moments of that movie. And the meme, it always says things like, really? Yeah. Tell yeah. me. <laughs> Because what we needed was a snarky Willy Wonka, you know, to mm-hmm. haunt us for the remainder of our days. Of all the poses and all the on all the movies, that one. That was yeah. it. And who's the guy who found that? I want to know the guy that one day just like, you know what? I got an idea. He was watching Willy Wonka and he's like, he just, you know, paused it to go get popcorn. He's like, he comes back and he's like, wait a second. I got something. I got an idea. <laughs> Oh no, the genius was born. <laughs> Wait a second. I know how to make it. Well, don't you remember? The character of Billy Wonka was very condescending. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was very condescending to those kids. You know, he mm-hmm. could care less about them. Well, he was more, he, but I don't think he was snarky kind. He was more like, like you didn't know where he was coming from, right? Like he, nuts. Yeah, like, nice. Yeah, like, yeah. like, like insane. Mm hmm. Yeah, he was kind of creepy in a way. Not like yeah. Johnny Depp really longer creepy, but like... <laughs> Why isn't that a meme, by the way? Like the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka. Because it's too frightening. Yeah, that was. <laughs> so, there, you, you're on. There you go, Sean. You get my, I, I've started it here. Somebody, if you're ever listening to this, create a meme of Willy Wonka. Find Johnny Depp doing that pose. And he's like, so you think? Find a 
snarky, you know, meme of Johnny Depp's. Did you guys know that Johnny Depp based the physical appearance for his character of Willy Wonka off of Charlie from the Rolling Stones? Oh, Charlie Watts? Yes, the drummer. How many Rolling Stones have inspired (laughs) him? Exactly, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, but that, but you know how Charlie Watts kind of has that, that, like, smile thing about him? I know. that, like, that's where he got the idea to be that way. Well, he's clearly Mick Jagger and who's eating Gilbert Graves. Where's Bill Wyman coming to play? I'm wondering. Or Ron Wood. You know, I want to see what he does with those guys. How is he? Wait a minute. Okay. No, 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 no. I've seen what's eating Gilbert Grape. How is he Mick Jagger in that movie? I was joking. Do you think about Leonardo DiCaprio's character? You went there. I didn't. Hey, I'll create a meme of that character. Yeah, I'm sure. Don't ever dismick it this table. But I digress on Blazing Saddles. No, it was, um, he's great in this movie. It's like, like I was talking about earlier, like, it is a subdued performance from Gene Wilder. He's cool. Like, it's like they're both just the cool, level headed guys. I mean, I love that scene where he's talking about the townspeople, like, look, these are people of the land, you know, <laughs> you know, the, you know, was it like the, the, they're simple farmers, the simple farmers, you know, the creators of the new West, you know, morons. <laughs> You know, I like how this movie addresses racism too. Like, it, it, I think comedy does a better job of addressing these kind of issues, and maybe even a straight drama. Where mm-hmm. I, sometimes I'm not somebody who likes being preached at with a film, you know, because I, I kind of like just to watch a movie and then let it kind of figure out the meaning as I go along. But I want to see the characters and story play out. And what I love about this is that it, it, I don't think the main thrust of the movie is to address any issues. I think it uses the issues to entertain you, Mm -hmm. but I think it does a much better job of addressing racism than a lot of dramas have for me. Because the scene in the beginning, well, besides the language, just how they treat the help as subhuman the whole time, and that's just the theme. And when they're sicking in quicksand and Slim Pickens saves the carts, which I think is a brilliant comic trilogy. Oh, man. Saves a poorly dollar handcart. They really play it up. It's beautiful. Like, you know. Because and then the part after they wash up on the rail, he's like, all right, boys, and break time's <laughs> yeah. over. Yeah, break time's <laughs> over. Stop trying to get a suntan lotion. I, it's just incredible. You know. And I think Mel Brooks, I think I read where he said that there were a lot of complaints when we came out of the language and, you know, sure. the use of mm-hmm. the N-word, you know, but um, he said there were far more complaints from white people than it was from African Americans. Well, I think they got the movie and what he was trying to do with it completely, yeah. you know. Well, it had a strong African American male lead in a comedy yeah. Yeah. where he was the hero and he was the and smartest was the smart one. one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he was the charismatic one. Right. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you like that movie. I mean, it was subverting... The morons were the people that were racist. You know? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what happened. You know, um, I was getting earlier that you could make this movie today. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing either. Like, I think... it. I love comedies that go for broke and they're mm-hmm. honest. Because there's an honesty to this comedy. It, it's using language as a way... But people are just emphasize. so hypersensitive and everybody's politically correct. And mm-hmm. I just don't know if something like this would apply today. You could have get it made today. Like I they would read the script and yeah. just say. I think no Dave way. Chappelle comes close. Yeah, yeah. the he one sketch possibly... that yeah. that comes to mind is the blind white supremacist. Yeah, sketch. I, I, mean, I think the the only humor that 
Uh, honestly, I think well, I think some of the the sticky Mel Brooks stuff is kind of outdated, just because it's kind of outdated. Um, but it's kind of fun. But it's you know that uh, you know he's always working the camera. The, you know the way he smokes mm-hmm. a cigar. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even know if that's well, funny. Well, it was just—it was so cartoonish. Yeah, it's just yeah. so cartoonish. That's like how cartoon. He was like Elmer Fudd, kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what it was. I kind of enjoy it, to be honest with you. I, don't <laughs> I you know, I, I <laughs> guy loves comedy. I, you know, that's there's some tension I'll tell you about earlier later on about Young Frankenstein yeah. with him and with Gene Wilder about that stuff you're talking about. But the the, the male uh, dance scene sequence, I think. I think you couldn't do that today because I think people are more sophisticated in their view of, you know, the gay community. You know, it's not like, because there's a sissy guy hitting a cowboy. (laughs) And it's like, it's just really hammering home, like, uh, you know, makes them, you know, uh, like the sissy man kind of stereotype of, 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 of gay men. I don't think that you would... People wouldn't necessarily go there. It would be a different take yeah. on it, you know. I think people still like it though, because I, I, I think it's so cartoonish, so over the top yeah. that it's hard not yeah. to get roped into it. But I think in a lesser hands, it probably would have been more offensive because Mel Brooks yeah. is highly skilled at pulling the stuff off in, in a way a lot of Wait, people aren't. You don't have time to be offensive and offended in this movie because it's just moving on. Right. To the next yeah. Thing. Yeah. You know, by the time you're getting, you know. Um, you know, I'm not someone that personally gets offended, you know. I mean, I'm a white male. It's really... <laughs> um, I don't say that, you know, um, uh, in a way that's offensive, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I think this movie, the way it moves, and, and like we said about how much, you know, joy that Mel Brooks gets in making it, and, you know, it seemed like they, oh, we're getting away with everything, you know, in this movie. And... Um, you know, I think that drives it home. I think if you were to do something like this, um, it probably have to be fast paced. You mm-hmm. know, there have to be like because um, you don't want get people to get enough time to think about it, and you just move yeah. on to the next mm-hmm. thing. And at the end, of the thing, oh, and they can see the whole product and then think about it as a whole, as opposed to the individual parts and get offended by that. But, um, but you know. If it's funny, you can get away with anything, you know. That's right. the thing, you know. You can say anything, but if it actually is funny in a legitimate way um, and not like a shock way, you yeah, know, that's that's what you know makes people come back and want to watch it. I think one of the things that was really well crafted with this movie too is the combination of some of these more serious type of issues combined with just that throwaway. Mm-hmm. quick kind of one-line humor like one of my favorite parts that I just was laughing in stitches tonight I, it just struck me as so funny was when um it was in the beginning and there was like a horse that came into town and it like roped a guy and it started like dragging him through the mud and he goes well, there goes that suit <laughs> <laughs> you know it was just because it was like just getting dragged yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it just cracked me up because it's like yeah he's that's right he, that's it's done <laughs> you know it's just that that quick Sort of throwaway, mm-hmm. yeah. meaningless, but funny. Yeah. Gets makes you kind of giggle. It's just that lightheartedness that that if you right. were feeling quasi offended or whatever, yeah. it sort of takes mm-hmm. that away because it's just silly. It I is. Mean, it's yeah. just so silly. A lot of silly parts. It's it's very silly. It, actually, they were kind of concerned about <laughs> it's, it's crazy now because I it's so ridiculous. But they were actually concerned about the little old lady being beat up. By those two guys, because I don't think it's something that happened oh, too often yeah, anywhere. Yeah. 
But it is so ridiculous. I can't imagine anybody not finding but that the, funny. When she turns the camera, it's like, isn't this despicable? I mean, yeah. it's like... <laughs> Again, it's that lightheartedness. Yeah, People yeah. might at first be like, oh my god, but then it just it brings well, you back to... It's like uh, Bugs Bunny would do that. He's like, yeah. isn't this... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 that kind of thing, yeah. Um, and then you have like uh, people like Alex Karras, who was a you know huge football star at the time. Uh, what team did he play for? He played for. Uh, well, I think he in the sixties he played for the Lions, but he was like a Hall of Fame NFL player. Right? Who was he in the movie? He was Mongo. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and he later became Webster's TV yeah. dad. George <laughs> Papadopoulos. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say I missed that. I can would say you I say he's the original OJ Simpson? <laughs> <laughs> I would, yeah. He, he you know, doing comedy, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, O.J. Simpson. Wasn't and Dick O.J. Simpson was in The Naked Gun. Naked Gun, yeah. That's right, yeah. Which are fantastic, all of yeah. them. So yeah. it's kind of in the same vein. Absolutely, yeah. This, <laughs> Alex Karras and Dick Buckus were competing for, like, the, the funniest ex-pro football player <laughs> for a period of time in character roles, because you would always see those two in one film or another, you know, in the same roles. But he doesn't. I mean, he plays a character. He plays. Oh, he's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, he's he's completely committed. I mean, um, it wasn't the first football player. I mean, Jim Brown was in the Dirty Dozen, but that was completely different. And let's not forget about Dan Marino and you know Ace Ventura. Yes. Nineteen ninety-four. Who could? Who could? Why isn't that going to come at me? Hey, <laughs> I'll ask you not to ask me about that. What does he say? Yeah, I used to love Dan you Marino. Never more that gum. <laughs> That's none of your damn business. <laughs> and I'll ask you to stay out of my personal affairs. <laughs> right. You know, it's a whole trajectory. Alex Karras to Dan Marino and, and Brett Favre and there's something. Oh, yeah, like yeah. yeah. yeah Brett Favre. Right. Great hey, tradition. Mary. <laughs> Although he doesn't do anything. He just says, hey, Mary, nice to see you. <laughs> then he gets rejected. <laughs> no. The sad thing is about his performance was Favre. Yeah. The, the line Stiller's inspires. Line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Karras is great in this, you know, and he has so many great lines, like, Mongo only pawn in Game of Life. <laughs> Which is funny, because, like, some of those lines, you know that Mel Brooks probably didn't write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that and the, uh... Well, I think Pryor wrote that one. Yeah, and the, and the speech by the, the, the... You could tell, like, the, the Mel Brooks stuff, because you mm-hmm. can tell, like, his type of humor. But there's other, like, you know, that, that one speech that the guy gives about, like, you know... Uh, what courage by Gabby Johnson, you know. I'm, yeah. These lovely children had a chance to listen to this great speech by this, you know, man. And, you know, I was just like, I, that's a really disciplined, you know, comedic writing, you know. That, that, and I love Mel Brooks, but he's not known for that kind of thing. It's, it's usually a bit more over the top, you know. Yeah, it's a bit over the top, but I think his, one thing I'll say about Brooks's movies is that they're really, in, in its heyday, they were really smart. I think yeah. what happened mm-hmm. is the formula got watered down over the years where you could feel like the later films were a little more tired, like oh, yeah. they yeah. seemed a little more by the numbers, like it yeah. became formulaic, where in the 70s, it was fresh and he was energetic and, you know, you could see... If you compare Blazing Saddles to, let's say, Dracula, Dead and Loving oh It, you can see. I remember that movie yeah. when I was a kid. Uh, I loved that movie. Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah was. Dracula. Yeah, he was. I love that movie. That movie was funny. Speaking of vampire movies, did you know, uh, uh, what's the lead character's real name? Uh, Sheriff Bart? Yeah, what's it? Not Sheriff. Um, Levin? 
The Clavon Little? Clavon Little. Yeah. He's he was in Once Bitten. I know. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So Once Bitten, for people who don't know, was like one of Jim Carrey's first movies. Yeah, I think right? it was his yeah. first movie. Yeah. Uh, who was a female lady that it was that? um oh, she was, was a big she, name. she was a big she was a supermodel I think at one point and she was the lead vampire I'm going to check on this research here. <laughs> but I know Clayvon Little was in it. I don't think Clayvon Little really did much after uh, Saddles, uh-uh. which I'm shocked by because it was such a great performance and such yeah. a great film. How he, uh, you know, that's it's lost on me why he didn't work more frequently after that. Um, you know, because everybody else in the movie, they're all pretty much comedy legends like Harry Corman and Gene Wilder and Madeline Kahn. They're all really popular and really famous but Clavon Little I mean people know the name because of Blazing Saddles but mm-hmm. I don't think if it was for this somebody would know who he was it was uh, Lauren Hutton Lauren Hutton right oh yeah Lauren Hutton Jim Carrey Megan Mullally is in it let's see that wow so there you go we got the cast of Once Bitten <laughs> there you go if there's something I wanted to accomplish with the entire podcast it's to expose Once Bitten people. was they actually started playing it on HBO after Jim Carrey got big because it was oh, probably yeah. like they owned the rights to it but, like, you know, mm-hmm. hell, he was in Ace Ventura's a huge movie. Let's play Once Bitten so people will watch it. And he's like, wait, this is not the same as I was watching. Because he plays it kind of straight. Well, we were talking earlier that it was really originally called Tex X, and Alan Arkin was originally scheduled to direct it. Mm-hmm. The original sheriff was going to be James Earl Jones, apparently. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which would have been different That'd than be what we got. Um, and uh, I would have loved to have seen John Wayne in this movie. <laughs> Actually, when I think about like what he would have done in that role, I can't. He wouldn't be smoking pot. I know that no. on the screen. I don't. You know? I don't know if he would have. I, I think he made the right call. I just mm-hmm. don't know if he would have fit in with this absurdist, satirical kind of um, goofy format. No, this is I, my I opinion. Know. I don't think he would have fit in. I think it would have been. They would have rearranged the character to fit Wayne because you know you this clearly fit Wilder like you know, a lot of the mm-hmm. lines mm-hmm. and how he could deliver it like I and I think that you kind of retool it whenever you cast somebody so I'm sure that they would have tooled it to make John Wayne funny you know which yeah. I think he was capable of being if he gave him a chance or he could just play it you know straight straight yeah, yeah. yeah. Gene Wilder kind of played it straight in a way yeah he know? did mm-hmm. yeah and uh but uh yeah it worked out I mean things work out I think um it would have been a little different with John Wayne, you know. He kind of did that as a rooster cockburn, right? Like played against his. That was that was a little loopier performance, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you know, um, it would have been interesting to see that. Who's your favorite character in the movie? If you guys have a favorite character, was there a performance that stand out stood out for you? I see it as more of an ensemble where everyone's kind of great, but. Um, I would say for me, I, I really like Madeline Kahn's character. I just think, you know, this, the I'm Tired number was just such a scene stealer. Mm-hmm. And just so memorable, you know, for what it was. At, um, I don't know. I just thought that was brilliant, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, you know, it's always fun to see another woman doing her thing and being funny, and mm-hmm. um, it's very inspiring. So I personally really liked that, and I think it was a nice addition to the movie. It was it was fun, and um, added a female in there, which... Of, I think was nice. Yeah. Gave it a little bit of a of a flair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Yeah. Because I mm-hmm. see it as such an ensemble movie. Wow. I do too. I'd say I would think Cleveland Little. 
and sheriff. I his delivery and like we were talking, his facial expressions are just so funny and amazing. But yeah, it's so tough for me because yeah. the whole ensemble is just spot on. And it's well, and all the characters intertwine. So right, yeah. yeah. There's so many lesser comedies out there where they waste people, like mm-hmm. you know. Even great movies like I know I love Caddyshack, but you can't say Caddyshack is consistent all the way through with great performances. There's like four that really stand out Mm -hmm. that are amazing, but then you have those lulls where the caddies are just talking to each other. Here, nobody's wasted. Every no moment is wasted. It's just consistently sharp from start to finish. Like it is a great screenplay. They really worked hard on the screenplay to get it like tight and Mm -hmm. and sharp. Yeah, you can tell. Um, Scott, any performances stand out for you that you thought were well, I like the one Johnson, the guy that's... Uh, this <laughs> the one Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Can you be more specific? Yeah. I forget his name, but this, uh, he's the one that... Uh, was it Olsen Johnson? Yeah, it's Olsen Johnson, the guy that does a speech after Gabby Johnson talks. And then he has that great, like... Uh, you know, we're going to allow the, you know, the, the, the black vote, the Chinese vote. You didn't say those words exactly, but, uh, <laughs> but we're not keeping, not the Irish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he has a, he has a lot of great lines and that, you know, I like it kind of, he's kind of like the stalwart of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with Sean, like the, you know, everybody's so good in this and the, the timing is just, you know, impeccable on how they deliver the lines and everybody just gives it their all because I think they know how good the material was. So, like you said, John Wayne read, read it and was laughing hysterically. So, uh, I think everybody kind of there's no one half assing it, you know, that you might see in a later movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, one of the guy, <laughs> an actor from Wings, just. <laughs> going through the yeah. Well, and I think the thing that makes all the characters so great too is that they're all so committed to their roles. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As crazy as they might be, like Mel Brooks is, you know, really over the top, and where Gene Wilder is a little bit more toned down. But mm-hmm. I, I think they're all really committed. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to be to make something like this work. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you can't half ass it or No, you have to go full blown. I, you know, Slim Pickens, for example, I think he just does a great job, and um, you know, like I. I I, I'm with Amanda where I really can't pick a single performance to see it's really of a full piece. Uh, everybody's great. Um, I think I noticed, like I mentioned earlier, I think Harvey Corman starts to, to... I really appreciate what he does here because a lot of people could just play the villain. I, I guess I find him really funny. Like, he brings certain layers and he's really committed to his role. Like, right. he plays it straight, you know, but also finds ways to make it funny and improvises, like, you know, the lechery and, mm-hmm. you know... And I think he's the funniest for me when I see them finally breaking through the fourth wall and are going out in the theater. I think Harvey <laughs> Corbin is, is the one that stands out in those sequences for me. Yeah. Because he's just like, you know, pain in the ass. And just like, <laughs> he, he swears great, Harvey <laughs> Corbin. He's, he's great at obscenity, you know. Well, those loquacious phrasing that you, when you first meet him, he's talking about, and, and the vapor of my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And one of my favorite lines in the movie, it's in my top three, is when Slim Pickens goes, Oh, gosh darn, Mr. Lamar, you use your tongue prettier than a $20 whore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Another great uh, fourth wall bending moment is when Cal Basie comes out with the music. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I mean, that had to influence so many comedies, because I don't think Mm -hmm. it had happened too often where you would just have this weird moment in the middle of a film like that. 
And the music, by the way, in this movie is great. It is. Did you hear? um, I read this week also about the theme song and um, the guy who sang it. I can't remember his name. The Frankie Lane. Frankie Lane. That's right. So when Mel Brooks um, decided, you know, he wanted this Western theme song for this movie, he decided, well, I want a Frankie Lane type. Well, Frankie Lane came to him and said, "Oh, I'll do this for you." So Mel Brooks was afraid of telling them about what this movie was about. they wanted him to have this authentic Western, you know, really serious way of delivering it. So they didn't tell him that this was a total comedy, total, you know, silly movie. So that's why it sounds so serious and just like such a great Western song mm. <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. I love that <laughs> story too. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can just see him belting this out like it's just a big <laughs> Western epic. Yeah, and... you think it's just going to be this epic movie. And, <laughs> and when he finally sees it, like, what the hell is this? What did I sign up for? The other authenticity is aspect of the authenticity of the movie is the fact they filmed it in Technicolor too because they really wanted to give it that wide mm-hmm. cinemascope oh, thing yeah. like a classic yeah. western which wasn't which is done. What it looks like, yeah, right. it does. It's a pristine looking yeah. comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's great to look at on on screen. And they especially to look at the the Gucci saddle. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Yeah. Love it. How, how could you not? Yeah. And then this like he comes up to the band and he's like they do that moment yeah. there. Yeah. I mean that's just awesome. And then they have at the end when they get in the car, those That's great. <laughs> I mean, you can see definitely how this has inspired movies to come after it. Like the first movie that comes to mind, also because I was just talking about it today, would be Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. lot of that similar mm-hmm. kind of like throwaway goofy humor, you know, mm-hmm. that you see in this movie. That you see, um, well, a movie we did, like Airplane. Powers as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Airplane was yeah. after this. That's right. Like uh, the satire, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a full, like an, another innovation. Is it's the first full-born spoof? Yeah, you know, like because mm-hmm. I think there had been spoofs before, but this what is, is the one. What is this a spoof of? Westerns in general. Oh, okay. I There's a know, lot of Westerns. I didn't know if tropes. it was like a specific yeah. movie. Okay. Yeah, there, I think the reference is probably to like quietly to different Westerns because yeah. I think he was a film buff. Brooks, but yeah. it's really just making fun of Western tropes, like the big, you know, the bean scene with the farting. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of making fun of how many well, scenes are like, in westerns. We'll, we'll come off of the past. Come off of the past. That's my least favorite cliche. Yeah. 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 I hate that cliche. <laughs> I want to say there are a couple of cowboys that are extras that were really in westerns in this movie, and I can't remember um, who they were, but I thought that I heard that. But I think a lot of the guys that you see. In the uh, sequence where they're fighting all the uh, the chorus line, yeah, those guys look like they were. I like, believe so. I yeah. believe that's there's one of them in there because you don't see them before or after, but they strike mm-hmm. you as like guys that would be in westerns. Yes. Um, one guy that I love too is Burton Gilliam, who plays Lyle at the beginning. He's oh, got yeah. the most expressive face in the world, the squinty mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah. And I read where he was very, very uncomfortable. Calling Clavon little, you know, yeah. bringing all these racial slurs mm-hmm. in yeah. and saying, I just did not feel good about doing it and I felt terrible. And Clavon took him aside and said, Look, if this happened in real life, we'd have an issue. But this is written and this is a satire and, you know, this is exactly what we need to do. And so he made him feel a lot more comfortable about doing it mm-hmm. and, and stuff. Yeah. And I guess when they were writing the film, Mel Brooks kept checking with Richard Pryor. 
is this okay? Is this okay? And Richard Pryor kept saying yes. Mel Brooks goes, he was, I think he was just floating <laughs> trying to stay <laughs> <get> in trouble. <laughs> he was saying yes to everything. You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, I can, I think, you know, like we said a, a ton of times, I mean, I, you just go for broke, you know, on this. And um, I think at that time, I mean, that's how people would, I wouldn't say that's how they talk to each other, but they were not shy about saying that because there mm-hmm. was no repercussion. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but the, the job that the movie goes is like those people were kind of ignorant and just kind of stuck in their own way. And then mm-hmm. the more nuance was with, you know, the workers on the on the railroad. They had more nuance that they're seeing Nat King Cole. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but then they go back and they, they kind of undercut that too, that pretension, because they go back and they're saying up, down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, on their on the hand car as well. Well, they're clever. Like that's the the Bugs Bunny comparison I make is mm-hmm. just like he's the smartest person in the room. He has all the angles figured out. He's kind of making fun of them casually, but he's also affable and kind of easy going. Mm-hmm. That nothing phases him. Uh, he just kind of goes with the flow. I love that character. I love Bart. I mean, I think Clavon Little is so cool in the role. Like it's because a lot of people try to do that. I don't think they pulled off as charming he's really charming in the role and I've seen other people try to play that and it could be obnoxious when you have a guy that just is smarter than everybody yeah it's a tricky role to play you know yeah, you know, it <laughs> yeah is. no it is yeah. uh, I uh, you know I, I think Adam Sandler's been trying to do that for a long time <laughs> without coming out of snarky and, and uh... in case nobody has picked up on this. Scott is not a huge fan of Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> the Wheelers have never been a big Adam Sandler supporter. Well, I know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not to uh, bash Adam Sandler. I think, you know, obviously there's a market for that, but I think when he, he does a similar <laughs> role for where he's the smartest guy in the room, it comes mm-hmm. off as kind of like. What movie was that? Oh, dude, like North Dallas. Uh, North Dallas Forty is that what you're? That yeah, was a the remake. <laughs> oh, the, rec- the remake. I think you're thinking um, of the the Burt Reynolds movie. Uh, oh, uh, not North Dallas Forty. No, that's that's a serious drama mm-hmm. with Nick Nolte. Yeah. I'd like to see Adam Sandler try a stand. <laughs> We're recording this a little bit late, so if we got our facts wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're yeah. Uh, Adam Sandler was in a football movie in a prison. <laughs> the longest stuck. yard. Longest, longest yard. Yeah, yeah. Longest yard. Oh, I was. Oh, yeah. What was I thinking of? The Water Boy. Yeah. Oh God! Don't that get me started on the Water Boy. Well, when you oh, said football, I thought of Water Boy. Yeah, yeah, Water Boy was not. Yeah. He didn't play the smart one in that. One. No. The Water Boy is no blazing saddles. That's all I'm going to no. say on that front. Well, oh. Happy Gilmore, he kind of played that. He was kind of like snarky and you know. I liked him in Happy Gilmore. I thought he was funny. I like that. I, I, my favorite Adam Sandler movie is probably Billy Madison. Mm-hmm. You know, that one, Chris Barley was funny in that. And... My favorite Adam Sandler movie is A Burnt Reel. It's good. It, it, I liked his performance there. Um, I, uh, I, I think John Morris is the guy he collaborated with, and I think he scored a lot of Brooks's movies, and he does mm-hmm. a great job because I think it's just they are actual songs, like you know. Mm-hmm. It, they, they, I think they understand music enough that they can do these great parody songs. Mm-hmm. So I think Brooks has always had the best parody songs of any, you know, filmmaker. You know, mm-hmm. like Men in Tights and those other movies. Yeah. Um, 
That's the only one I can think of. I know. I'm People to are looking at me. That's I know. I know. Um, you know, yeah, it is a great, that is a great song. And, uh, you know, most of them are. And um, Springtime for Hitler probably being the most quintessential mm. of, the, of those. Um, what's your favorite line of dialogue? I know we've kind of mentioned it, but I'm, I'm kind of curious what people... You know what lines stand out for you? I think we've kind of covered a lot of them so far. I think for me, it's in the toll booth scene where he says, "Someone's got to go back and get a shitload of dimes." <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> oh, That's just a great gag in general. Yeah. But I also use a line of dialogue all the time when I'm trying to fiddle with the key in a lock and like think of your secretary. I always <laughs> use that one. So that was good. <laughs> I think a little known, known line, that, well not a little known line, but there was a scene where the two guys in the bar and they're talking about Louis Pasteur. About his, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I love that. And then the one guy goes, never mind that shit, here comes Mantra. <laughs> yeah, I love that. What does he say, like, hoof and mouth disease? Yeah. The thing yeah. <laughs> He's like, never mind that shit, here comes Mongo. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Just completely undercuts it. But I, I, I think I mentioned the play chess one. I, uh, mm-hmm. there's so many in this movie, like uh, twenty dollar whore. Uh, then there's the number six thing. It's oh, just yes. like yeah. <laughs> and what about the about the wide wide world of sports as they go along here? I mean, that's just the classic. You know, mm-hmm. that that's a great spoof movie line. It is. You know, because. <laughs> It's anar- <laughs> anachronistic. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's like referential to something that would never be referenced, you know. And um, yeah, it's just perfect. I like the um, again going back to Madeline Kahn. <laughs> I like that part when she just finishes with the number. I'm tired, and um, the sheriff gets the note at his table, <laughs> and the way that it's read aloud as if it was Madeline Kahn's character wrote it as if she would speak it so it says like meet me in my dressing womb after the show and it's like spelled out dressing womb and I just thought that was brilliant like it's so funny to write a you know I just thought that was that was a a fun little throwaway and then of course I you know I just love that part about the suit yeah. <laughs> there goes that suit. Just crack me up. Because he's just he's like getting drug across the screen and you can barely hear it. It's yeah. such a quick line mm-hmm. and you almost miss it and I don't know, it just oh man. Oh man, but going back to Amanda the toll booth scene where they, they That set was that funny up, too. They set it up so up they give you the whole they yeah. I mean I they show you it, they show you that you can get around it. Yes. Their reaction to it. It's like you know, gotta get shit full of dimes and they're just going through there, the thing goes down. And it takes it forever to throw the dime yeah, in the bucket. Exactly. Yelling at oh, them again. It's just so perfect. <laughs> There's um the one line I always loved and I think it's as much the delivery and the expression as much as the line is when he goes oh baby you are so talented and they are so dumb <laughs> it's just the way he delivers yeah. it yeah. cut right out of it and of course there's the quintessential excuse me while I whip this out yeah. I mean I, you know I think that was yeah. funny when I was 13 that was the funniest line I had ever heard mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and, and I, I do like it when the little old lady like goes to the jailhouse and she's oh, like yeah. to give him the pie and then she's like I'm sorry about all that stuff. You know, she says the N-word. Yeah. But she, like, repeats the line that she said to him. And then she gives him the pie. And then, like, a second later, you hear a knock at the window again. She's like, 
We're not. Don't tell anybody I came to say this. Be a gentleman and not let anybody know. That's that. right. Yeah, it's just, just funny. Well, I just like how she repeats it. It was just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. There is a great side story to this movie. I had never heard of this until I started getting into it. But there was actually a television pilot created by Warner Brothers oh based off of Blazing Saddles, and it's called Black Bart. Hmm. Was this after the movie? This is crazy. Yeah, this is after the movie. Really? The sheriff is played by Louis Gossett Jr. <laughs> and he had a sidekick played by Steve Landensburg, who was in um, Barney Miller. Yeah. Uh, he was the guy with the glasses on Barney Miller, you know, kind of the droll guy. And this was never intended to air. I guess CBS picked it and aired the pilot once, but it was under contract that I guess if they made this film, if they made this show... Um, they could keep the rights to the sequel of Blazing Saddles. That's the only reason they were making this show. And the pilot is on the Blu-ray. I'll get to the Blu-ray later on. But mm-hmm. on the Blu-ray, they actually have the pilot. So I had to watch this because it's, you know... And the only one who's, who's credited as a creator is Andrew Bergman. It mm-hmm. doesn't have Mel Brooks. had nothing to do with this. It's your typical schlocky 70s sitcom, mid-70s, mm-hmm. you, you A.K.A. Know. bad fashion. Yeah, actually it's a western, so the fashion has improved, you know. <laughs> but they are saying the N-word and everything on, on, on wow. the pilot. But it has a laugh track, and of course it's doing all this this weird punchline setup stuff. And I'm like, this is, these guys don't really have the rhythm down pat of this movie at all. But it's just bizarre. The only reason they made this is to keep the rights to the sequel, you know. Hmm. And Mel Brooks had nothing to do with it. I don't think Mel Brooks even had an interest because he's never really made a sequel to any of his films, really. That's so, what I was going to say. Was there a sequel to Blazing Saddles? No. No, this I is a standalone. So. There's a rumor that they're going to try to do uh, Spaceballs sequel, right? There was, yeah. There yeah, was some talk that's always about been that. A, that's the only one I could think yeah. of that they would. The pilot's bad. Because but there it's, were so many Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. space yeah. and science yeah. fiction in general. Yeah. Star Wars is like because yeah. of the saga aspect mm-hmm. of it that can play well, but um, the pilot's terrible. But it's worth checking out just for the novelty of it because it's yeah. like who knew? And the guys, I guess that were like the showrunners. I think it's Michael Elias and Rick Eustace. They went on to create Head of the Class, so that tells you what. We're... Oh yeah, that tells me a lot. <laughs> yeah, that tells you all you need to know. Uh, so to end, uh, what do you guys? What are your overall thoughts on the movie? Like, does it hold up for you? Is it is it as good as advertised? I'll start with Amanda on that one. Well, I think Sean. Sometimes you know, on Facebook we talk about like what's your favorite movie? Well, yeah, it's Blazing Saddles for me is always the top. Like either one or two, yeah. it, it vacillates between the two, but mostly it for me all time. Yeah, all-time oh, wow. favorite movie. Yeah, it's a fine choice. Yes, I think. it is. Yeah, Tony, I know this is your first. I, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed it. I laughed out loud, and it, when I'm watching a movie or when I'm watching a play, I'm kind of like a tough audience, I guess, because when you're a performer, I don't know what it is, but it's you know rare for me to to really like laugh out loud and giggle about things, and I did several times throughout this movie. Even thinking about it just kind of makes me giggle, and um, I really enjoyed it. I think it was very fun. Um, you take it for what it is, you know, just being lighthearted and don't get too serious about it. I think you'd really enjoy it. Um, it is a classic. Um, it's probably not a movie I'd want to watch every day, 
because uh, I'm just, you know, the whole Western thing is not my bag. Um, but I really enjoyed it a lot, and I think it's great. Oh. You know, it's a, it's a, it, it is your quintessential Mel Brooks movie. Yeah, you know? it is. I mean, mm-hmm. what else can you really say? Yeah, I think it's it's my second favorite Mel Brooks movie um, after Young Frankenstein, which is it came out the same year. Um, I like that the more I watch it, the better I like it. I think it just comes together better, especially watching it with a bunch of people. We saw it at the Kappa the Ohio Theater and, you know, a, a packed house watching it and mm-hmm. everybody laughing, which is the best way to watch a comedy, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially one like that, you know. Yeah. There's other comedies that are more subtle humor, but um, but I think movies in general, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch them with a big, uh, big crowd, but... Um, yeah, just it, I think the humor stands up in a lot of ways, um, mm-hmm. especially if you're a fan of comedy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially, like we said, this movie's historical in terms of it's one of the first successful spoofs, you know, big blockbuster spoofs that came, like Airplane and Naked Gun and Austin Powers, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Anchorman, on and on. You can see the, the, the influence all the Absolutely. way up mm-hmm. um, as far as taking on um, you know, that, you know, all the great, you know, the Zuckers and Adam McKay and all them, I definitely took, I think, mm-hmm. note from his work, but yeah, I think I definitely recommend it, you know, um, you know what you're getting into or don't know. Sometimes it's fun yeah. to be surprised yeah. and shocked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, um, it is of its time. I mean, there's a lot of references that you might not get because the movie is 40 years old. You know? Wow, that's crazy yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, it's still, I mean, it's, it's, it's still really funny and it still holds up, I think. Yeah, I, I think it more than holds up. Like, I was actually expecting it to be dated at this point when I started revisiting it. Like, you know, it may not hold up. And I don't, I'm probably not the best judge of what's dated and what's not because I'm kind of an old soul anyway. Like, you know, things that I find really interesting may not play with the, the millennials, you know. But I think this is great. Actually, I think it's ahead of its time. It feels fresh. Like, I feel if this yeah. came out today, it would really blow people away because we're not used to that, like, go for broke, you know, tell it like it is kind of approach. This movie, I, I love this. I think it's it's a huge part, like I said in the beginning of my comedy DNA. Like, I think this is one of those films, I think Young Frankenstein and the producers of the Mel Brooks movies all had a huge impact on me. I'd say the the SNL stuff, like the National mm-hmm. Lampoon, like Animal House and Caddyshack and those movies are up there too. But this is one of those films for me that, you know, I, I think so much of my approach to comedy, I think this is one of those moments, you know, one of those films that really shaped that for me, what you can do with a comedy and that you can make it really funny. I think this is first one of the first films that I found hysterically funny where I was like crying I was laughing so hard. Um, I think it still holds up. I think it's a great-looking film, too. You don't really say that about too many comedies, but this is a pristine-looking picture. I just like the look, the costuming, everything is is, is top-notch. Oh, yeah. You know, and there's always a debate, like, what's the best Mel Brooks movie? You know, a lot of people love Young Frankenstein. I certainly do. You know, I think it's a classic. My personal favorite is probably The Producers, actually, as mm-hmm. much as I've praise this the producers is probably my favorite I, there's something about that movie that I keep going back to but I would probably say this is number two and it's not because of anything against Joan Frankenstein it's just 
I think I love the irreverence of Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. I, I like that it, it that edge that it has yeah. and that it that has that go for broke absurdist style. Like, you know, I think even the Simpsons and Family Guy have certainly taken cues from this movie on how to shape a comedy script. You know, so I think it's a classic. I think it's up there with among my favorite comedies, certainly maybe in my top thirty mm-hmm. all time films. So you know, I I love it even more having revisited it. Like it yeah. keeps going up now again. It's like, oh, I was right about this. This is as good as advertised. <laughs> and like, I always end the podcast by, uh, I think the best way to look at any film outside of an actual theater, which we had the pleasure of doing tonight. We actually saw this yeah. live yeah. in the theater, is to watch it on Blu-ray. And about three years ago for its 40th anniversary, they released a special edition Blu-ray of Blazing Saddles. A lot of great special features. Like, first of all, it looks pristine. It looks great. Um, it has a great commentary with Mel Brooks going over the making of a film. There's about two documentaries going over. All, most of the tidbits I gleaned were from those documentaries. It has that pilot, Black Bart, which you have to check out. I gotta check it out. The Louis Gossett Jr. <laughs> Sheriff Bart is there. And, um, and then there's just the sort of deleted scenes and stuff like that. You know, I love all that stuff, and it's loaded yeah, with all yeah, that stuff. So highly recommend it. If you find a Blu-ray of Blazing Saddles, the 40th anniversary edition, check it out. And I want to thank Amanda for joining us today. This yeah, is great having you finally you so on the podcast. Thanks. Uh, I know. When we talked about it earlier this summer, I was like, yeah, I'll do Blazing Saddles. And then, I, <laughs> then I thought about it. I'm like, wait a minute. This is a huge weight. This is like one of the best comedies ever done. I know, it is. <laughs> what a responsibility. I know, I know. It's, I, felt the, I felt the thrust of it myself. Uh, Amanda, I know you, you perform periodically with Idiot Box, yes. like all of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amanda is an extraordinarily funny, great performer. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. somebody that Mel Brooks, I think, would cast nowadays yes. had he still been active. I would know. do it in a heartbeat. I know. Mel asked. Ask what I <laughs> And uh, the rest of us all have, I think, various projects as usual in the pipeline. And you know, yeah, the improv wars is going on. There's a big benefit on August 25th for ovarian cancer, which you know we're a lot of not ovarian cancer. <laughs> it's weird to say it. The Ovarian Cancer Alliance of Ohio um, that Tony's a board member of, and uh, we're gonna raise some money. Uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, Thursday, August 25th at the CD1025 Big Room over here in Columbus on French Street. Show starts at 7 and all of the ticket sale proceeds and all of the funds that we raise from the raffles will be donated to the Ovarian Cancer Alliance of Ohio. So come on out, you'll get a chance to see me do improv that yes. night for sure. Awesome. I don't know if you guys are going to perform or not. I'll be in there somehow. You'll be in there? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'll force my we'll way throw in them there. in there <laughs> at some point. Yeah, but, but it's going to be a, a fun night and it's for a fantastic cause, one that I'm very, very passionate about. And uh, if you're curious about, you know, improv and or the Ovarian Cancer Alliance of Ohio and or us, come on out. Perfect, and I'm developing a few shows. I perform regularly with City of Thursday twice a month at the Wild Goose Creative, and I'm also developing a show which, with a date to be determined called The Putts, which is a.k.a. the working title Black Bart. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be coming in, and I want to thank uh, Amanda once again for joining us. Yes, thank you and, so much. Yes, and uh, we'll see you next time.
raised here, and that gummit, I'm gonna die here. And no sidewinding, bushwhacking, horn swoggling, crocker crocker is gonna roll my biscuit cutter. Now, who can argue with that? Robert! I think we're all indebted to Gabby Johnson for clearly stating what needed to be said. I'm particularly glad that these lovely children were here today to hear that speech. Not only was it authentic frontier gibberish, it expressed a courage little seen in this day and age. Well, that's the end of this suit.